This is the Thrive Podcast with Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. And now, Pastor Fred Jeff Smith. Hello, welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you took the time to either view this on YouTube or listen to it on iTunes and Spotify. Uh, we always invite your input. You can reach us at just Fred Jeff Smith at Cox.net. Let us know how we're doing and whether or not you are enjoying the podcast, what we can do to make it more relevant to your life. I'm very happy today to have the opportunity to welcome back uh, to uh, our Thrive Podcast desk, Reverend Jennifer Jones, who serves uh, Shiloh as the executive director of our charitable foundation and serves as the minister of social justice issues here in our church. Jennifer has been a guest with us before. We're delighted to have her back. How you doing, Jennifer? Doing fine. Excited about all of the noise in the community around what it means to be actively engaged in this process of electing those folk we want to take care of our civic business. Well, I find that the best way to hold conversations with you is just to throw something out there and let you talk about it. Uh, uh, we recently finished a people's assembly uh, working with a group of other pastors and a group that we collectively call Prophetic Voices. Talk about that and, and, and your thoughts about uh, the assembly and how it went. Well, I'm... Um Still excited about the last couple of nights. We did this on Monday and Tuesday night of this week, where we held uh, what we call the People's Assembly, and we held one at the uh, McKinley Alumni Center, and the other, and this was in South Baton Rouge, and the other was in North Baton Rouge on at the T.J. Jemison Baptist Student Union. So we had great attendance at, at, at both of the meetings, and not just so much the attendance. Of course, it's never what you want it to be, but it was the quality of the meeting and the engagement and excitement of the folk and what they had to, to offer to that particular process. Uh, what was different is that uh, most folk were expecting us to do a candidates forum. Right. We invited in folk who were actually running for office, but for the last several years, we've been trying to make sure that our folk uh, had a voice in the process, and not just when they went to vote, but they understood clearly what they were voting for. They understood the issues, and um, as you know, uh, especially here at Shiloh and some of our other partners and churches and organizations that we partner with, they do the same thing. It's almost weekly they're getting some information around the issues that are important to them. So uh, this was really about helping them to begin to think about what it means for the people to have voice beyond just that of voting, right. but to prepare them for that, right. where they're not looking uh, for a candidate to give them a platform, that they can begin to help develop what we're calling a people's platform. So this was to talk about issues and how do we move from issues and concerns to actually policy work, changes. Right. And regardless of what candidate or whatever they were running for, how does um, the way that we think and understand that and their ability to help us get where we're trying to go um, and how do we put our agenda in front of them was what this meeting was all about. Yeah. So um, I've seen this done all over the country in a number of different ways. And um, we try, when we think about what's being done other places, 
uh, to take a look at what works for Baton Rouge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and Baton Rouge is different. You can't take and overlay anything anywhere else. We, we are a different breed of people. Uh, our way of uh, working together, our way of understanding the political landscape of what goes on here is a little bit different. So this worked out fairly well. I mean, as much as we prepare to do it, as we work together as clergy and, and leaders within congregations, it's always exciting to, to gather from our folk. And, you know, most of the meeting was spent with our folks sitting around four particular issues. Right. That was important to us. Of course, uh, one was around mental health, and not just limited to mental health, health care in particular, but mental health was kind of the, the piece that was lifting up because of uh, a lot of what's going on in terms of misunderstanding what's going on with the Bridge City piece, right? Bridge Center piece, rather. Um, the other was unemployment, especially around marginalized folk. But even when we talk about marginalized folk, anybody in our congregation um, in some ways are impacted by the unemployment in our community. Yeah. Uh, not only did we talk about unemployment, but mass incarceration. Yes. You know, that was, that was a key piece. And then education. And those were broad topics. And what we wanted to do was see where people fit in and what were their experiences right. uh, based on some analysis that we shared up front. The biggest part of that meeting was setting them in these different groups and letting them interact and come up with three different uh, pieces that are policy pieces, and really it kind of came out in terms of theory that's going to require a little bit more research, mm -hmm. but it allowed them to see a different process that mm -hmm. uh, their voices were actually heard and they were given guidance to what actually becomes, and so much so that part of that process is now something they can replicate. Right. They can replicate with their families, right. you know, those in their civic groups and neighborhood groups or uh, other organizations that they're part of. And for the different congregations that were connected, they can do this over and over in their congregations or in the ministries within their congregations. One of the things that, uh, and you've said it twice, uh, uh, we, we wanted to develop policy. Mm -hmm as opposed to merely suggesting programs. Right. Uh, on the first night of the activity, uh, it was, a distinction was drawn, a line of distinction was drawn between a program and a yeah. policy. Uh, programs are, are suggested uh, activities that can be stricken out of uh, the agenda of the government by the governor or by whatever entity, if mayor, it depends on whether it's local or state or even national. Whereas if it's a policy shift, uh, then it has greater weight attached to it. And I thought that that was an important distinction to be made, and I thought that those who gathered had not thought in those terms of the difference between programs and policies, because when we initially started uh, talking in the breakout groups, they were suggesting programs, mm -hmm. and 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 uh, in our group, Veronica Freeman, who was the f facilitator, made the, the distinction between a program and a policy, mm -hmm. and it shifted the way that they started thinking right. about things. You have done this work historically for uh, several years. You did it through PICO, which is now Faith in Action, and you have done it here at Shiloh. How difficult do you find it to get people to shift their thinking away from mere programs to policy? 
it's extremely difficult. It's, it's just like anything else. What people are accustomed to is the program. You know, you talk about education, then they talk about after-school programs. Right. If you talk about health care, there are uh, different programs that uh, have been put in place. Sometimes, as much as the program can be beneficial, it's almost like giving crumbs rather than the policy that actually puts something in right. place where you get much more. Right. So trying to get them to see the difference. And it takes what we've been doing for years uh, before folk get to that. Now, that wasn't only eye-opening um, for some of the folk that came in the room, but when you think about the broader community and the congregation, mm -hmm. uh, and they're able to take that back now, and that's how you begin to shift their thinking around these particular things. So they're going to walk away with this, and they're going to be talking to other folk about it and that's how because we assume that people understand this this kind of right. a movement or how uh, the government is organized in a way to benefit us uh, and not to just dis distract us or put something out there that will quiet us not take care of the problem of the issue mm -hmm. that's affecting our families mm -hmm. um, so it, it takes educating you know um, one of the things that I hear a lot now is folk talk about social justice as we talk about it, and they talk about issues and programs and where money is going and all of those kind of things. Right. But when they think about talk about how money is spent or, or where it's going, it's primarily in terms of their measurement is a program. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's true. So when you begin to help them think about the budget, how that budget is put together, uh, where that money comes from. All of those things kind of play into play. Mm -hmm. And then the conversation of it, it's a learning curve. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter whether or not those persons have a limited amount of education or they have a number of doctorates. Uh, that's something that they haven't taken the time to really put together and understand. So just continually putting that in front of them, demonstrating it in different ways, because as you know, as well as... Um, I that people learn in so many different ways, mm -hmm. and however you get it to them, if you got to get it to them in a song, let's sing about That's it. That's true. <laughs> you yeah, know, uh, preaching about it, teaching about it, putting it in the bulletin, putting it on a podcast, all of these different ways. Then that gets them to begin to think differently, mm -hmm. and most of them. The question then becomes, or the the comment I often get is, "I really didn't know that." Yeah. And part of that is because we really didn't teach that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So based upon the recent work that, that, that we just completed and what's coming up in the next couple of weeks on October 12th, uh, it's Election Day, but uh, early voting actually begins as we're recording this. It begins in just two days. Mm -hmm. uh, what is your gauge on the level of excitement, if that's the right word, the level of motivation, probably a better word, uh, amongst our people uh, mm -hmm. to actually go to the polls and make their vote count? Right. Well, one of the ways that, uh, Pastor, that I measure this is the the activities that are going on, you know, like these candidates forum, these uh, assemblies, like what we put on in a, a number of things. Mm -hmm. On the very same night that uh, we've done both of these events, there were, uh, I don't know how many events going on across the city. Um, there's uh, a number of ways that we try and uh, gauge some of that. Uh, but the fact that folk now are paying attention to mm -hmm. 
and I think there is a level of excitement because we finally figured out a way to put this in front of them. If you're talking about their Social Security, if you're talking about uh, their Medicare, if you're talking about maintaining the teachers getting raises and all of the different things that are on the out there for people to pay attention to, you know, this conversation around the Brit Center, right? Right. And who's going to be served by that? There's, right. There's 30 beds, but it's everybody's tax dollars. Yes. And will everybody have equal access to that particular facility? Sure. So I think the way that we've been able to, and, and we, we keep saying this over and over, whoever controls the narrative will influence how folk are going to respond to this. Mm -hmm. I think the church is doing an excellent job. I can't say all. I, <laughs> I do know a number of them who are doing an excellent job to help folk understand that right. this is a moral responsibility right. that they have. So voting is a part of their worship. It's a part of their service. And I think now it's happening, but it has taken a lot of years to get to this place. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of folks see a lot of activity going on. Some churches aren't engaged or involved, but they want to be and haven't found their way in. And sometimes if you put enough information out there, they can pick it up and do it whatever way they want to do it as long as it gets done. So over the last recent years, I guess, 10, 15 years, and for me probably goes back a little bit farther than that, uh, uh, the diminishment of local associations of churches and state conventions, the, the diminishing influence that they have mm -hmm. over even the congregations that still maintain their membership. And, and you and I both know that there are several congregations that have uh, dropped out mm -hmm. of, of these organizations. These were the hubs and, 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 and the platforms upon which uh, we voiced our concerns to the larger community sure. in the past. Uh, those platforms, I'm not going to say they're not there, but they certainly don't have, they don't carry the same weight mm -hmm. that they once did. Uh, I don't see the association uh, as it was in the in the current model uh, ever having that kind of influence mm -hmm. again. But from your perspective, what is going to step in and 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 assume the level of influence, the role of of of, of those groups? Not just the church, but mm -hmm. but is there a larger group that that can step in and assume that role? It's going to look different. I think when we talk about the church, primarily what we're talking about is, is the pastor leading the effort. Mm -hmm. And I believe that it's extremely important that pastors support the effort in terms of what their congregations are doing. And it should not ever be done without some support or at least acknowledgement of the work that's going on in terms of the membership that's done, especially in the name of the church. But what's really going to rise this up is the leadership within our congregations and within our community. When they begin to see the value of what it means to work work in a collective way. The language that I often use with them is that, and I understand that there are nonprofits, there are even smaller churches who don't want to be swallowed up by larger churches. Right. And then there's always been this fear that we were in competition with each other mm -hmm. as churches, which is not so because there are more folk outside of the church these days than are inside the that's church. True. So that's not the case at all. So 
what has to happen, and it only happens when there's a crisis in our community that we see some semblance of coming together, right? And the collective kind of power and sharing that we do that makes a difference, whether it's a flood or, or whether it's an Alton Sterling piece or something that goes on in the community. Mm -hmm. So how do we get folk to rise above all of the pettiness looking for uh, the structures that are not as effective anymore? Or do we think about what does it mean to pass to uh, have partnership and collaborative efforts that's going to move this stuff forward? Mm -hmm. And I see a semblance of that because I believe a number of uh, um, organizations, a number of churches are learning how to work in a collaborative effort in doing certain things, also in terms of partnerships around both faith-based organizations and other organizations that are secular, but the values sometimes, and, and we have to be selected. Right. I, I need to say that. We can't right. partner with everybody just for the sake of partnering. Uh, there has to be some common thread there for us to be involved. But the reality is that our members are involved. So how do we take advantage of that? Yeah. I think the people have to rise up. And there's a sense within this community and across generation that things popping up. And I, I sense it. I see it. I participate in a lot of it where there is leadership, mm -hmm. um, where people are rising up to take on issues like this um, and trying to do it in creative ways to meet the needs of the different age groups, you know, uh, the different faith dynamics that sometimes play in, you know, whether not it's interfaith right. or not these ecumenical efforts, all of these other pieces. So it's about the voice of the people that's rising up. It's happening all over the all over the world, mm -hmm. and particularly in Baton Rouge. I think I'm excited about uh, what I sense and see. Uh, still struggle a little bit with how it's going to be led, how mm -hmm. it's going to coalesce and come together, because mm -hmm. sometimes it does go off the rail. Yeah, and sometimes those who share common beliefs uh, disagree about the methodology uh, yeah. that needs to be employed mm -hmm. in order to achieve what you're trying to achieve. I'm seeing a lot of that in in, in these various candidates that we have yeah. for seats. This is a critical election, mm -hmm. uh, not just from the standpoint of all elections being critical, but the census is going to be done in 2020, and uh, particularly with regard to legislative seats, uh, state house, state mm -hmm. senate. Uh, the individuals who will be in the House and Senate after this election will be the ones uh, who will be tasked with the responsibility of doing the redistricting and the and the drawing of the maps mm -hmm. uh, for the next 10 years. And that has a lot to do with how resources are allocated throughout our communities. Uh, do you sense that uh, there is... A, enough of an awareness within our community of how important this election is from the census standpoint and from the redistricting standpoint and the challenges that, that are there now with gerrymandering and redlining districts and things of that. Things that I heard somebody say the other day, things that you can't necessarily prove you don't have empirical data but you know that it's going on uh, do, do you sense that there's an awareness of, of that you know, for the last couple of years there's a, um, a group of people um, that have been paying particular attention to that and part of this movement of why there's so many different things going on trying to make sure that we get people registered to vote and then get them out to vote there's also uh, some training that has been going on and some um, 
a lot of thinking in terms of how do we help to communicate this to folk to see how important it is that when the census does come, not only are we looking to make sure that people fill out the information, but that our people are also employed to be able to go out there and do that and understand why. Mm-hmm. So just as if, just as we have done, I think much better in terms of making sure we're getting folk uh, to register to vote, to get them to go and vote early, and then the challenge is getting them to the poll. At the same time, we have to be teaching and thinking about gerrymandering and thinking about the census piece and helping them understand why that's important for them. Mm-hmm. And no, we may not be able to have empirical data, but uh, in some way, because of the way that we live and because of the difference between what goes on in North Baton Rouge and South Baton Rouge, yes. uh, you can see it with your eyes. You right. experience it when you when you have to go to the grocery store. Yeah. You experience it when you go into the bank to borrow money. You know? uh, how far you have to drive to get to yes. a grocery store. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. It, it's, it's troubling to me that there there are uh, people who are in positions of authority, people, uh, not just government people, but business people and civic-led people and what have you, uh, who will deny the reality of the problems that exist simply because they're not directly affected by it, and, yeah. and, 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 and they, they, they minimize how important it is, mm-hmm. you know. It's not that big a deal that there's no grocery store in North Baton Rouge. Really? That's because you don't live in North Baton Rouge, exactly. and, 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 exactly. and so it does not directly impact you. Uh, part of uh, your job uh, in the past and uh, in the work that you do here at Shiloh uh, has to do with uh, being the liaison yeah. uh, into that community mm-hmm. and and voicing uh, the needs that that they might not want to immediately acknowledge mm-hmm. existing. Mm-hmm. Do you find that there's much resistance in that? You know, one of the things that I've learned, and, and, and to give you an example of, of, of what you talked about, you used the example of the, the grocery store. Um, as prophetic voices, we've been paying particular attention to the, the Brit Center right. uh, and the development of that, as we uh, discovered uh, after the tax was passed and uh, uh, the board that was put together to initially pull it together was not representative of the community in which we knew that it was supposed to be serving. Um, So in doing that, what I recognized as it appeared to be an affront to me Mm -hmm. in particular because of the people that we deal with day to day, not just in our congregation, in our community, but in our family. So there's a deep pain about some of this. And and when we think about the fact that at one point um, when Crack was an epidemic, and to some extent still is. Um, it was about drug drug addiction and, and drug dealers. You know, it was about locking folk up. Right. It, all of those things were there. That was because of our lived experience that we felt the way that we did, and we were paying particular attention to that. Not until this opioid piece became a reality for some people. Mm-hmm. That they realize the need, the pain, and that they have lived experience as well. Yeah. Because many of them, even to get their folk, uh, even with money, to get their folk help, 
they couldn't get it here because there were no beds. There were nothing close. They would have to take their family members way away from yes. here to actually get that, even with resources. Yes. So a deeper conversation helped me look at this in a number of ways. One in particular is that because it's not their lived experience, they don't live in Scotlandville. They don't live in North Baton Rouge to know that to get fresh meat and fresh vegetables, uh, how difficult it is right. because they have all the conveniences of everything being shifted in another part of it. Now, that's not to say they ought not have paid attention to that. They should have. But we also have a responsibility to make sure that they pay attention right. to it. So to re rather than just to uh, keep those dynamics to say this is going to happen uh, for black folk and this is going to happen for white folk, uh, we have to be in the midst to make sure equity takes place. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be the key for that. Mm -hmm. So do we get any pushback for it? Yeah. When politicians get in uh, into office, and many of them, I believe, go in with the right intentions. Mm -hmm. But when you get into that field of trying to figure out, uh, how, you know, their first thing once they've gotten elected is how, how am I going to get elected again? Right. Right. Uh, and with all the intentions <laughs> of serving the people Very that true. put them in, in that particular office. Mm -hmm. But we can't leave them solely with that responsibility. We have to hold them accountable. And not only hold them accountable, we've got to prop them up. We've got to put something in front of them. Mm -hmm. We've got to be able to give them the data, the mm -hmm. phone calls. They can log and say, this is what we're hearing from our constituents. This is why we need X amount of dollars or this is what really needs to happen in this community for it to be viable, not just for them to be safe, but for all of us to be safe. Right. So it's that kind of conversations that we really have to run into. And then there's some responsibility, I believe, on all of us to be able to make this better. Next week, uh, well, as, as this is going to be uh, rolled out on Monday, uh, uh, Monday the 30th, on October 2nd, mm -hmm. we're having Souls to the mm -hmm. Polls. This is the second effort uh, that we have put forth with Souls to the Polls. Uh, explain, without me telling people what it is, explain what Souls to the Polls is and why it's important. Souls to the Polls is a day in early voting that we pick to collectively come together to go out and vote early for a number of reasons. One is we already know that uh, there are a number of polling places that have been changed that people are not aware of, that in fact uh, going to the polls early is going to speak to that because mm -hmm. they'll have time if in fact, and we try and make sure that they know even before they go uh, where they need to be and we can get that piece of it straightened out. The other is that, um, and and I'm, I'm not uh, saying that this was uh, thought through to say that they're football games <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, on, on those days, and we know what football means in Baton Rouge. Right. Uh, so that's a way to uh, take some folk mind away from, and we want to make sure that you can be at the football game if you've taken care of your business first, right. and that's to vote early. Right. The other is I think it's important for the faith community in particular to, to use its influence to have a collective movement that increases. Every time there's an opportunity to vote, we should have a better percentage, and mm -hmm. we are gradually growing toward that mm -hmm. uh, in terms of getting our folk to collectively be able to do that. Uh, folk often find it very difficult to get uh, the community in itself to do something in a collective way unless, again, it's a crisis situation. This is 
crisis on one way if we don't go. Correct. Right? But this is going to speak volumes to folk in our community because they think that we don't, as a people in particular, and as the church, they come when it's time, candidates come, everybody wants to pass by the church. Right. 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 But then when it comes down to the legislature or the city council or any of them, when they look at who's responsible for them being where they are, then they're going to make some decisions about how things are dispersed in terms of resources. So if there's this collective movement that's going on and they can consistently see that's growing, they're going to consistently see that they have to respond to our needs and bring resources into our community. So if you're going to holler about what's not happening in North Baton Rouge, North Baton Rouge needs to show up big at the polls. And vote. And vote. Yes. Right? Yes. Same thing. When we talk about African Americans in our community and what goes on at Parish Prison and how our families are affected by that, they're going to have to be able to look and see that we're moving and we're moving to the polls. Right. Right. And that gives us voice to be able to do a lot of things that we haven't even begun to imagine or scratch the surface that we'd have the power to do if we're seen as powerful folk. And we're not seen as powerful folk just because we show up on Sunday mornings. In fact, they discount it. Yeah, they they discount it because that's what they do. They go to church. Right. But they don't go vote. Even when when crises happen, it seems that there is a a built-in belief uh, of the powers that be that uh, they'll be upset for a couple of days. Mm -hmm. There might be a protest or two for a couple of days, and then everything will get back to normal. If we can just withstand the couple of days of protest, then everything will calm down and things will get back to normal. Uh, That's troubling. Uh, First of all, uh, it should not take threats of violence Mm -hmm. uh, in order to get... Uh, the attention of those who are in positions of authority and in in positions of power within our communities. Uh, But the fact that they are so uh, discounting of a huge segment of the community that they feel like they can just pigeonhole us and say, okay, well, they'll be upset for a couple of days and, Mm -hmm. and then it moves on. We have to dispel that myth. We we have, we have to change the way that they think about it. And I agree with you. We have to do things before the crisis Mm -hmm. so that we're taken seriously, uh, uh, when the crisis actually takes place. So, uh, Talk about what's going on with social justice here at Shiloh. Forget, forgetting, well, not forgetting about, but beyond what's going on within the community work. What's going on here at Shiloh? I'm going to respond to that, but let me just say the, the comment that you just made in reference to um, doing something before the crisis actually hits and doing it consistently. Yeah. I think for the last four or five years, there has been a concerted movement around this get out to vote effort that every year more and more was being done. Mm-hmm. And when we talked earlier about the excitement about all of these things going on, and as I was complaining about having to make decisions about how do we be, how can we be at all of these different events and how every night there's something going on, you have to throw a lot of rocks to hit something sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and if you keep doing that, people are paying attention to the fact that there's a a movement going on around making sure that our folk are registered to vote, Mm -hmm. that they vote early, 
and that they are knowledgeable enough about issues now to make decisions that are not about a party and it's not about folk with popular names or it's not about people just with all of the money. So they are paying attention to that. And what they're also paying attention to is that now we are continually making sure that, you know, this social justice buzz that we're going to talk about what we're doing here at Shiloh, mm-hmm. as we talk about that, that's a, that's a word out in the community now that folk are being challenged by and understand, you know, understand that more than just a handful of folk or theologians uh, are speaking about it, but it's becoming a part of who people are, and they understand that that's a part of their reasonable service yeah. in terms of giving back. So the fact that we're consistently doing something a little more every time and we're educating more folk, we're moving more folk to the polls, we're coming up with some creative ways of getting our folk who've been incarcerated to come out and we're propping them up to make sure that they're able to vote and we're getting our young folk right as they get out of high school. So they're seeing it has not always been this way. Yeah. But it's happening. Yeah. And I know that folk get tired of us talking about it, but that's what you have to do to make yeah. sure that these things sustain themselves. And we're being observed. We're, yeah. we're being watched. Oh, we're yeah. being evaluated. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It, the consistency piece is very important yeah. to that. Yeah. And, so and it's not, not just, just a rise and a fall. Yeah. Folk are not just coming when, you know, we were called uh, recently when we thought we were getting ready to have uh, a flood or right. uh, the semblance of uh, the remnants of a hurricane. We were called to say we need to meet beforehand. Well, we also get calls about things that are happening in the community mm-hmm. now because they understand that we're paying attention to it and that right. our people are aware right. and that we're moving forward and trying to make sure that they stay aware and they're going to respond in ways. And they are doing this, and it doesn't just happen when it's time to go to the polls. I agree. Yeah. But I am excited about what's going on at Shiloh. You know, one of the things that I uh, struggled with when asked as I came back uh, when not came back, but took on the role of Minister of Social Justice was, uh, and you were uh, very open to it, was that we did not want this just to be a ministry uh, or an auxiliary that folk could say, if I want to be a part of that, then I could. You know, this was part of your father's and certainly your philosophy and mine, uh, that that's the philosophy of ministry for us. Right. You know, the holistic approach of uh, meeting the needs of the whole person. Yes. Uh, and in, in doing that, I think what we have done over the last four or five years is be able to say to folk uh, something I took from my sister, former sisterhood president. If you were a sister in the church, then that means you were part of the sisterhood. Yes. If you're a member of Shiloh, you're part of the social justice <laughs> ministry because that's, that's the good. philosophy of ministry for the church. So nobody cannot feel like they are encompassed in that or they don't have a say-so about it. So what we've been trying to do is help people take a look at uh, what that's going to mean in terms of their, their service and how they want to live and work out um, ministry here through this congregation. So mm-hmm. there's no ministry in our church that, that has not been embraced or reached out to or who have not participated in some ways in some of the social justice activities and works uh, and workshops uh, that we've been able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that is by listening to them and seeing, um, meeting them where they are 
the things that they want to get engaged in, be a part of, you know, for a long time. For many years, we'd done women's conferences, and uh, everybody was concerned about the absence of that. Well, we did something a little different, Mm -hmm. uh, and we were able to get uh, several hundred women to be a part of what we call your royalty. Uh, And we had a summit, brought in some folk from across the country and some of our local talent, and uh, many of our politicians uh, came in to be a part of that. So that was something that now they tend to want to see that as something happening every year. Well, just as that piece happened. There's local work that's going on with our homeless uh, ministries through uh, Sisterhood, a number of activities even in that ministry. Uh, There's a lot going on as it relates to what we were able to do with our uh, summer youth enrichment. We were bringing in folk that actually spoke to our young folk, not just about their career, but about their public service, about right. their giving back, and about what social justice actually means, and how regardless of whatever their career choice is, they see themselves as being able to have a responsibility for making sure that they're reaching back and pulling others in and engaging them in that process. That equity is everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it's just not, you know, as we talk about uh, social justice, oftentimes people think we're talking about marginalized. Right. I like to talk about being marginalized in the spirit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it doesn't have just everything to do with poverty, although it has a lot to do with it. But when a person is not aware of and conscious to who they are and what they can contribute to that. So I get the questions all the time. There's an excellent team of folk that have just bought in. And uh, I just kind of facilitate what it is that they dream about, what they want to do, and create activities and things that they can be engaged in, both in our congregation, in the broader community, and even outside across the country. And it tends to, you know, it's caught fire. It it does help that every Sunday there's something in the bulletin uh, on a social justice piece um, that I know people are paying particular attention to. Yeah. At one point, they wanted to give me credit for it, and for a while, I thought I'd take it. You know, it felt pretty fine. good. That was well, fine. you know, I think we influence each other in a number of ways yeah. through our thinking and yeah. uh, materials that we share with each other, and others in our congregation send now because I get stuff all the time. I'm sure you do as well. Yes. Uh, that folk are sending our way, um, and they're contributing to it as well. But the sure. fact is that they get it. You know, it's a diet for them now. Yeah. And and they're excited about it, and they're seeing themselves in it and replicating it. Uh, I challenge them to take it back to their families. I challenge them to find opportunities uh, in their different groups. You know, um, one of the things that uh, I've always admired about, and your dad used to talk about it, is the human resources uh, in our church. Yes, and we have a number because they are connected in this community all over in so many different ways. There's not uh, a career that you could come up with that we don't have members in our congregations that are part of that. Or systems that operate what goes on in this city that we don't have folk that are at every level in those systems Mm -hmm. to to help make that happen. So I think now that uh, they know that it's a a brand, you know, there's some folk who claim to be the social justice churches of the city. (laughs) Yeah, you told me about that. (laughs) Yeah. I thought that was funny. Uh, but I, I, I sense and see that our folk have owned it. They've taken it on. They are actively engaged and take it with them wherever they are. So, Beyond social justice, beyond prophetic voices, beyond the politics that uh, you and I are both engaged in, uh, before you were in any of those positions, you were a member of Shiloh. 
longtime member of Shiloh. Talk to me as we approach the year 2020 about your assessment of where the church is and where we need to go. Certainly, God has blessed this church, and this church is, has done some wonderful things, but there are some things that need to be done that we have not been able to get done yet. Give me your assessment as yeah. as, as a minister, as a member, mm-hmm. as a veteran member of the church. Where Where, where, where is Shiloh, in your opinion, and where, where are we going? <sighs> Uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to distinguish here between my personal dreams and my vision of ministry as we talk about the bigger picture and, and, and this congregation, which I'm extremely excited about and so proud to be a part of uh, and to see from whence we've come. Uh, but excited about the, uh, the amount of talent that God has placed in this church and uh, the possibility of what's before us. This thing of how do we uh, transition from doing things as we've always done to what's possibly some new things that we can Mm -hmm. uh, do or should be doing. I've been prayerful about this, and uh, there are plenty, all of us are praying about it, Uh, preaching, teaching, uh, music, all of these things play into it. And the vision and what I sense and see that God is doing for us is is causing, uh, uh, providing us an opportunity to be uh, um, the footprint of what needs to be in a community as a church. And that's why he's placed us here for such a time as this, mm-hmm. with so much opportunity based on where we sit. I think that this idea of what is it going to mean to uh, make sure that gentrification doesn't eat us up, that we control it, or that we are a part of it in a way that benefits the greater good of the community, that's going to be more about development, you know, right. the the vision that I've always had uh, and some of the folk that have been around with here with me, we, we are now the seniors in the church. Mm-hmm. So this idea of senior housing and right. um, this idea of how do we create entrepreneurial opportunities for our younger folk, um, how do we take advantage of um, a lot of the vacant land that's around or the new businesses that are coming in, in into our community. How do we create, um, take our young folk who are renting apartments and um, for extended period of time for an exorbitant amount of money and help them think about what it might mean to become homeowners, to create some wealth, some wealth building. So it's some new terms that we're talking about. Now, Mm -hmm. that kind of happened in different ways. How do we fund these things? What is philanthropy? Do we have folk in our church now who need to be looking at what it means to give more? Right. And, And I've seen some of that through our foundation. We've got a number of families in our church that are sponsoring scholarships beyond what we traditionally do as a church, what we were doing as a Duma scholarship. There are a number of families now, some that you know, don't who want to remain who want to remain anonymous. Right. That's actually sending children to school all over this country. You know, those are the kind of things. So mm-hmm. I just see that we have an opportunity. We're in the midst of LSU, Southern University, and the Baton Rouge Community College. We need to be able to figure out a way that we're uh, not trying to 
do it in a way that just uh, changes the way that we've always done church. Mm -hmm. I think there's some things that we can add to it, Mm -hmm. you know, that uh, we need to be thinking about what it means to expand our daycare where we're, uh, you know, we're very important. We're thinking about a school that they might start here, but they might be able to graduate from high school right here someday. Those, that's the kind of visioning and that I have. I think this idea of entrepreneurship, um, this thing of our getting all of our kids ready to go to college, that's still an important piece. We believe in education. But there are also some young folk who may not ever go to college but have some skills that we've helped to develop through right. the years. Right. So why not help them get into business? You know, I agree. Those are the kind of things that yeah. I think and, and I see that uh, we're ready for. I mean, we've got folk that have done extremely well that's around this place that need to now become mentors. Um, you know, even people in business, uh, um, folk that do all kinds of different things, they're right here. So how do we take advantage of that? That's going to draw the folk. But the most precious things is as I see our babies grow. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I I tend to agree. I just know that, uh, uh, to use your term, there's untapped potential yeah. uh, that exists within this congregation. Uh, it is it is particularly uh, pressing on me that 2020 is kind of a sing- signal year. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in. 2013, not long after uh, we assumed the pastorate here, uh, we had a three-night meeting talking Mm -hmm. about uh, a vision for 2020. Some of those things we have been able to accomplish, but there's so many more that uh, we have not yet approached. And uh, there there is a sense of urgency on my part as pastor that I would like to see more of within the congregation Mm -hmm. uh, to make these things a reality, uh, and uh, it takes a collective effort in order to to make those things work. But you're doing wonderful work here at Shiloh. I always wanted want to give you the opportunity to come by and and tell us what's going on. And this seemed like a great time uh, to do that. Uh, I appreciate the work that you do. I know Shiloh appreciates the work that you do, and uh, keep up the good work. You, you can't get sick. <laughs> you can't retire. <laughs> you have to stay around for a little while. <clears throat> yeah. Well, you know, part of the challenge as we grow older, and I always say this to other folk as well, so I have to listen at it. We can't leave until there's others that are ready to step in. Right. So we have to, and, and that's part of what I hope I'm doing is um, making it exciting enough that other folk want to see the fruits of what could actually happen yeah. and what we are, are able to do that they, they are ready to pick up and move forward. Because yeah. I often think about the Stella Beachams and Louise LeBeau and Doris Williams and I could go on and I'm going to get in trouble for calling some names and the Charles Smiths, yeah. Uh, yeah. all of these others on whose shoulders we stand, who opened up opportunities and much of what I see here now they were responsible for being here and it started from meager things. So the question for the members of our congregations now and the thing that keeps me trying to stay healthy enough to work and be around for a long period of time is what will I leave behind? And I think that um, as I have watched and see, even as I look out in the congregation now, there are four and five generations of families that are yet in this church. Yes. 
Right. They are. And those earlier generations gave so much more than what we're giving now. Unfortunately, that's true. Yeah. But it's our job to, to, to maximize the potential that's there. Reverend Jennifer Jones, thank you for taking the time to share with us. Thank you for viewing. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again next time. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. Right. I appreciate it.